You're listening to The Omni Show, where we connect with the amazing community surrounding the Omni Group's award-winning products. My name's Andrew J. Mason, and today is our OmniFocus 4 release episode special. Well, hello and welcome to this episode of The Omni Show. My name is Andrew J. Mason, and we are beyond excited because today is the OmniFocus 4 release episode. And because of that, we have CEO Ken Case in the house with us. Hello, Ken. Hello. And also the ever awesome Ainsley Burke Olson, product manager with us. Ainsley, how are you? Hi, Andrew. I'm great. Thanks for having me. It is absolutely our honor. And I have to say the timing of this episode is is ridiculously good because uh, as of the airing of this episode, we will have just released or are just about to release OmniFocus version four. And uh, I'm, I'm feeling a little bit excited. Are you, are you excited? <laughs> I'm super excited. Absolutely. Yeah. It has been a long time in the works, this project. <laughs> and, uh, obviously, it's not the only thing we've been working on, even as the OmniFocus team, but it's been a big focus of our lives for many years now. Yeah, I'm really excited. I took over product management for OmniFocus just as we were getting this project off the ground. Excited to ship regardless, but this is great. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure, Ainsley, for you, this represents a massive checkbox, like checked off. I, I don't know how many years it's been sitting in the project folder, but just like chut chunk, it's checked. You should see my to-do list. Yes. <laughs> the checklist of checklist. It's very exciting to break all those off. <laughs> it's funny you say that because I do want to dive into that later on, the idea of using OmniFocus to develop OmniFocus. And I think a great place to start is to maybe talk about OmniFocus 4's redesign requirements. It was really just this tension that was walked between two different things. I know one, we wanted to make it more approachable for newcomers. So if you've never picked up OmniFocus before, it's just that much easier to kind of get started and get productive. I know the second, though, is to retain all of those existing capabilities that our existing customers know and love. So it's like, how do we walk the tension between power user and newcomer in order to make it the best of both worlds for both? So why those two requirements? And then, uh, Ken, I'd love if you'd start us off. Well, sure. We wanted to make OmniFocus much more approachable for new customers just because, of course, that makes it easier for people to use and get into and do everything else. And not only more approachable for new customers because it benefits people learning the software, but more approachable, I think, helps everyone. Even It even helps me, right? The easier it is to do something in the app, the easier it is for everyone, no matter how experienced they are. And at the same time, we thought it was really important to preserve the power that OmniFocus is known for, because that's why so many people come to OmniFocus. We're not trying to just build another Reminders clone. Apple already has one that's built in, and it's free, and it's great if your needs are simple. But if you have more complex needs, then we need a more powerful tool to help you with that. Absolutely. And I really believe that, and I hope our customers will agree, that we've walked that line very, very well. So talk to us about this unique test flight experience this time around, as opposed to previous software iterations. What was different? What was the same? Uh, Ainsley, maybe start with you. So OmniFocus 4 has been in test flight for several years now. We started with a iOS-only test flight that was geared towards the iPad redesign, which is where we started development. And then we launched the Mac app into test flight a little while later. We eventually reached our 10,000 tester cap that Apple imposes. That's not us cutting the list off. That's Apple saying that's as high as you can go. And we've had a lot of really great feedback. Folks have been very, very involved. It's a little tricky to compare it to previous test flights. Omni has like a long history of running beta tests. Like if you go back, you can skim through our blog to the launch of iFocus 1 15 years ago. And uh, we were running public tests at that point. I wasn't working at Omni at that point, so I can't really provide much insight into how it compares but we didn't have test flight then. That's a newer tool from Apple. And we didn't, several years ago, didn't necessarily have the same capabilities in test flight. 
part of the change is that we didn't previously have these tools. I've previously run the OmniPlan port test flight, which had a similar sort of open invite, but OmniPlan customers are project managers uh, using OmniPlan in their like day-to-day business. And they may be a little bit less eager to run a beta build and give us the kind of feedback that our OmniFocus 4 customers are. So it's been really great to see people willing to install those beta builds and give them the full, here's my data, let's see how it works, and pretty enthusiastically tell us what does and doesn't work for them. Ken, I don't know if you want to add more context there. One of the interesting things around this release in general is that we are building this very complex app that has a rich history, you know, 15 years of history already. We're rebuilding it in a new programming framework called SwiftUI that Apple released a few years back, right about the time we started this project. So we jumped on it right as SwiftUI was new and started adopting it and taking advantage of it. And what we've delivered now wasn't actually possible with SwiftUI where it was when we started a few years ago. So over time, you know, as we hit the limits of what SwiftUI was capable of doing, then we would provide feedback to Apple and then they would think about it. And often we wouldn't get changes until the next WWDC in June. All right, here are the improvements that take that feedback into account. And here's what we're doing to make it easier to scale SwiftUI up to the sort of app that we're building in OmniFocus. And so that process has been interesting too, to go through over the past few years. And and we've had now a few years of iteration with Apple that way, where the frameworks have improved and have let us do more in the app. And circling that all back around, as I mentioned, we ran the iOS and Mac test flight at the same time. This is the first time we've launched a major new version of our software across all platforms simultaneously. So because we're using SwiftUI, like the inspector code is shared cross-platform. Not something we've ever done before, at least in the same capacity. So if we make a change to the inspector, maybe someone gives us feedback on the Mac side, maybe that feedback comes in from an iPhone customer, and that's just a whole new experience that we've never attempted before. Getting everything right across all the devices at the same time has been ambitious and been really, I think, really rewarding in how it's paid off. Yeah, it's letting us do a simultaneous release for the first time. A major release of our app across all the platforms at the same time. It's really interesting as we talk about the universality of this all, where, you know, downstream you've got these tight feedback loops with test flight and people giving you rapid feedback about how things are going. Upstream, you're kind of talking to Apple saying, hey, this is what we see. Here are the edges of where we're programming. Here's where we see the boundaries. Can you help us out with X? But what I really do love about the universality of the app is that now each platform is taking elements of all the others, but retaining the best of each. So uh, talk to us about this process, Ken. Yeah, absolutely. The Mac app is the most mature of our apps. It's the one we started with before the iPhone even existed. So in many ways, the Mac app was the source of a lot of the cross-platform pollinization. So things like bringing over an editable outline with expandable content, where you could edit everything right in place and so on. You know, that's something we've always had on the Mac, and we've never had on the iPhone or the iPad faster navigation mechanisms where we had an always visible perspective bar, where we had quick open. Those are features that were also already on the Mac, but they're new to the iPhone, they're new to the iPad. So, so far you hear me going one direction, you know, from the Mac, but as we built things, adapted them to the iPhone, we realized, oh, this is something that we could do better on the Mac as well. So for example, on the iPhone, because the screen space is so limited, we adapted that outline to be more flexible. So you could say, here are the fields that I want to see all the time, and here are the fields that I want to see while I'm editing, and I can rearrange their order and so on. Well, of course, once we had done that on the iPhone, we brought that feature back to the Mac. So that's something that happened just during this test flight process. And there are also some features that we brought back to the Mac that we'd long had on the iPhone, like the support for location-based tags 
So you can have notifications that you're setting up that are, you know, based on where you are. When you pass by a grocery store, you're reminded, hey, you want to pick something up there. Yeah. And to be clear, it's not just taking the best of each elements from all the others and retaining the best of each, but it's also, there are all new elements. Uh, I think of interactive widgets. I think of quick open, the back button. Talk to us about what's new. Sure. Well, the list is long. <laughs> I was just looking at the release notes that Ainsley has been editing as we prepare for this final release. And, and there's a lot to cover. But you know, I already mentioned that we brought some of these rich navigation features over from the Mac to the iPhone and iPad. But there's some new navigation features that we never had anywhere that we have now, like back and forward history. The Sorry, this is not new, but I do want to bring it up anyway. The iPhone and iPad now have this Mac feature of the Focus which is a pro feature where you can say, I want to focus in on my work tasks and only see that throughout my entire database, all the perspectives, or only on my personal tasks at the end of the day. And I can tune out work and, and think about other things. But some of the other sort of all new features, well, of course, we have this customizable fluid outline. We have new features in forecasts, like being able to show your flagged items, include them in the list, or a more flexible organization where you can reorder the day's tasks and events relative to each other and say, here's sort of what I want my outline of the day to be. And it's not based just on when things are due, but when it makes sense for me to get them done. And you can also do that now in custom perspectives. So you can reorder the items there, order them in more flexible ways, preserve their hierarchy, and so on. And again, there's just a long list of new features, but those are some of the highlights, along with interactive widgets, which is a new feature that was enabled just this summer when Apple developed iOS 17 and macOS 14. Now we have these new capabilities on the platforms that while we're busy just trying to ship this new code <laughs> that we've built, we also wanted to integrate with Apple's new code. I love that you're nearing the end of the dev cycle and then, you know, Apple says, hey, interactive widgets. And you're like, ah, let's do it. <laughs> let's put it in there. And, and not even to mention a standalone watch app as well. This is something entirely new. So talk about that. Yeah, well, since we built this code in SwiftUI, we realized we had an opportunity here now to really rethink what we did on the watch. The SwiftUI scale is a, an application framework that scales all the way from the largest screens, you know, the back screens or the Apple TV screens, I guess down to the smallest screens on your watch. And of course, you can't share the exact same designs across all of those sizes because designs make sense at different screen sizes. But we were able to take a lot of the code and reinvent the watch app, make it an independent app so it syncs on its own. And you know that it's always up to date with whatever sync data is in the cloud rather than having to make sure that your phone has synced recently and then sent that data over to the watch. And then as you interact with it on the watch, find that it's immediately getting out of date because it's not syncing in a live way. A cool side effect of this is we were able to, as we rewrote this watch app, take, I think it was like eight of our top 10 feature requests for the watch app and hit them all in one go. Folks have been asking for access to say all of their perspectives in the watch app or their full database. So Swift UI let us write this cool new watch app without you know, too, too much overhead. And in the process, we got to take care of a whole bunch of stuff that customers have been telling us they've wanted for you know as long as the Apple Watch has been out there. So Great to hit both of those at the same time. When I heard this feature, I was honestly pleasantly surprised because, you know, the watch now you have, uh, I'm one of the people that I think the truth be told, I, I do reference material on my watch as well. And to be able to hold the entire database, you know, two, three gigabytes worth of material uh, hanging out right here on your wrist is, is pretty <laughs> cool. 
it's amazing how much more powerful that little risk computer has gotten over the years that it's now it has as much memory as the original iPad did that we brought on focus students. Oh, wow. That's that's pretty impressive. Uh, we have this phrase I've heard internally. Folks have been saying the phrase universal license, universal experience. And I know we've been kind of sharing that internally. What does that phrase mean to you, this consistent experience across all of Apple's platforms? Well, sort of mentioned already that we wanted to bring the best elements of each platform's design to the other platforms. And of course, that we wanted to make things more approachable. One of the things that helps make the app more approachable is making it more consistent. So you don't have to learn it over and over again as you go from one platform to another, or how am I supposed to do this on that platform versus the one I learned first. And so part of this is really thanks to Swift UI, being able to have a single implementation for this code. We tried to make the experience much more consistent, both around how the navigation works, how the outline works, even the appearance of things, you know, the icons we're using, the layout of the rows. It just feels great to have, have this app now feel like the same app everywhere. Ainsley, what about you? The other part of this is the universal purchase aspect. So we've always distributed our Mac and iOS applications separately. Initially, that was honestly a thing that we had to do. Apple didn't support a cross-platform license. But we're now at a point where we can do cross-platform licenses, and we are. So we started this with OmniPlan 4, although those shipped asynchronously, a single OmniPlan 4 purchase license OmniPlan 4 across all your devices. With OmniFocus 4, everything's launching on day one, and you buy it once, and you have access to it everywhere. We are offering both our traditional license purchases, which are just a one-time upfront. They get you OmniFocus 4 for the life cycle of the app, as well as the subscriptions that we've offered for several years now. And both of those now unlock OmniFocus across all your devices. So you sign in with that Omni account, you're greeted with a similar interface. We really hope this helps folks get up and running really seamlessly with OmniFocus 4 right away everywhere. This isn't even really a question, but just kind of stream of consciousness thought here. Uh, I, I, I will say I am above the year of 40 in age, and uh, I am curious I'm experiencing this phenomenon where something new happens. There's a new feature, a new button, something's in a new place. Uh, I, I am excited, but cautiously so. And there's a space in me, there's a, a part of myself that's like, ah, I don't want to change. <laughs> I don't want to do new things. And I don't know if it's the muscle memory that's stored up from doing things a certain way. But for anybody that's kind of feeling those feelings, that cautious uh, optimism, that cautious excitement about, okay, you know, new version, that's great. What I love about this is, number one, you can run OmniFocus 3 and 4 side by side, so you can get a taste of what 4 has to offer, what it's like, what the new features are, where new things are located, without losing your productivity or your database from 3. But number two, something that was so refreshing for me, too, was the reduced amount of taps it took to get from place to place. And so it's like, yeah, if, if you want things to stay the way they are in the same way that they are, I kind of have my system, I kind of have muscle memory set up. You can still leverage all of that and get the best of both worlds as you get used to where things are located when something's new. And I realize that's not even a question. It's just kind of just a thought I'm throwing out there. But just it's so, so cool to be able to see the improvement, but also have zero risk involved. That's a great point about being able to run OmniFocus 3 and OmniFocus 4 side by side. That was something we were very intentional about. We didn't want anyone stuck, again, really trying to make this upgrade process as like easy and seamless for folks who like rely on OmniFocus as part of their daily life because we know it's so ingrained in people's workflows. Yeah. Yeah. Your thoughts, Ken? So we considered it a design constraint and it in fact did limit some of the things we thought we might try to do like, oh, do we want to make this change? Well, that would involve changing the data format. It would no longer sync with version three in a compatible way. No, not now. We'll do it later. 
there will be plenty of version four updates down the road where we can do more things. But right now, we want to make sure that the upgrade from three to four is as seamless as possible and that you can just keep thinking and going. I want to branch off of something else you mentioned in that last comment, which was where you were talking about how many taps it took to get from one place to another. Now, tap already sort of implies that we're talking about the touch devices. The app where this was the worst was really on the iPhone, where when you would launch the app, you would go into a home screen that would show you a list of perspectives. And you might not even know what the perspectives were about yet. And you'd have to kind of hunt around, okay, figure out which one you wanted to be in, what you wanted to add to as you were learning the app. But then even once you knew the app, whenever you wanted to get from one place to another, you would have to go back up to that home screen and back down into the other place. And because we didn't have the expandable outline in place, you would have to go digging down maybe several levels of taps to get down to the right project, maybe to get down inside a group of actions and then find the real action. And then if you actually wanted to edit that action, you would tap on it yet again to go to a detailed specter screen is what we'd call it, where all of those extra details would be in place. With version four, we've gotten rid of all of those extra layers of tapping to get from one place to another, where when you launch the app, you see a list of tasks right away, just like you might in reminders. You tap on a task and you are editing it right away in place, not going to some separate screen. And we have that perspective bar always visible along the bottom where you can just switch from one place to another without having to go up to a home screen and come back. It's really much more fluid and much faster to use. Yeah, and I don't know if anybody out there is a nested folder kind of a person. I absolutely am. And it's a game changer. It's exponential to be able to say, I don't have to go back up from twig to branch to tree trunk to root, but I can just jump from twig to twig. Hopefully that makes sense. So it's not a whole lot of traveling up and down. There's, there's sideways motion now as well, which is really useful when you just want to go see something. Some of these things build on each other too. Like because we added the navigation history where you can go back to where you just came from, that meant it was no longer so costly to go from one place to another, right? Like in version three, if you had a hypertext link in your notes that said, okay, we'll take me to this other perspective or this other task, right? you know, you can use copies link to put one of those in your notes. If you tapped on one of those links in version three, we felt like we had to put a little barrier up saying, are you sure you want to tap on that? Because you're going to go somewhere else and it's going to be a pain to get back, right? With version four, we were able to get rid of that entirely because we knew you could just follow that link. And if you wanted to come back, you just hit that back button. So cool. And it reminds me of the idea of contextual computing, where people talk about tunneling specifically from one piece of needed data or one experience to another experience and being able to just travel in that direct route. Very, very useful. Talk to me a little bit about the bug squashing process. Uh, over the development period, what would you say was one of the most hard-won bugs? Like, it was difficult to figure out, but over time, you know, whether it was because we bumped up against the limitations of SwiftUI, uh, or for whatever reason, it was a difficult thing to figure out, but we nailed it. We finally got it. Well, one engineering bug that comes to mind is one that we worked on for about two and a half years, and we kept taking stabs at it, and we kept failing, and we kept trying yet another thing. And we sent feedback to Apple and they didn't have any answers for us. And we waited a year and a new version of Switch UI and we sent feedback again. And they still didn't have an answer for us. And another year and, and so on. And we kept trying to do it. And that, that was, you know, one of our goals with this editable outline in place is that you ought to be able to just easily tap on a task and drag it around in the list to someplace else in the list to reorder things or reorganize things, you know, drop something onto another task to make it a child task and so on. And all of that worked great if you were in a dedicated mode where all you did was drag and drop. But we had this conflict happening where if you were trying to edit text, like the title, which is a common thing to do, right? You tap on the item and you've got your title. You tap on the title, we bring up the long press menu to give you a bunch of contextual menu items to say, you know, like, oh, okay, do I want to 
I don't know, share this task or whatever. But we would also, we wanted you to be able to drag out of that menu to start a drag and drop operation because often, you know, that long press menu could happen very quickly, especially if people had set their settings. You know, there's an iPhone setting that says, how long is a long press? And it's under accessibility settings. And so some people would set that very fast because it would immediately let them bring up that menu and it felt more responsive to them. But then that got in the way of drag and drop because you couldn't drag out of that only if you started that tap on the title, which was, again, a natural place for people to want to tap. You could tap anywhere else in the row and it would be fine. And this was a weird conflict in Swift UI. And we worked over and over again to try to find ways to work around it. And we finally, finally solved that just last month, I think. <laughs> After filing it back in February of 2021, I think, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And when Ken refers to the filing, so we're implementing this UI in Swift UI. Um, and there are certain things that that just doesn't support yet. So in those cases, we've, you know, we need to let Apple know that, hey, we'd like to be able to do X, Y, or Z in SwiftUI. We can't do it right now. So we file that feedback with Apple, let them know what we're trying to do. And then we write our own custom thing is often the solution, which is, it gets us there, but just gets us there a different way. So that's what that little workflow looked like when we hit it. An example that comes to mind there is like the voiceover support that we just updated. Excited to see that OmniFocus 4 is much more voiceover compatible and should hopefully be a more expected voiceover experience for our customers who use that feature. But plan A didn't pan out. So instead, we chatted with a voiceover customer about, okay, what if we approached it this way? And came up with another solution that I think is quite nice, but still works within the limitations of the existing framework. And we're hoping that maybe eventually Apple will address that specific feedback we filed with them and we can further update our voiceover support and a 4X update to be even more seamless for those customers. The level of nuance and detail that shows up here for the average user not thinking about the length of their taps, you know, impacting or not impacting or or where specifically they tap in that tap target. Very, very cool that, that you're thinking about that. And also, I think a high five, too, for not just saying, hey, we're going to develop whatever it is that helps us move our product forward, but also being in conversation with Apple saying, hey, we think other developers would really find this useful. Just a little bit of extra that I think means a lot. When you think back over this development cycle and everything that OmniFocus 4 has that's new, what new feature are each of you personally the most excited about? I struggle to think of just <laughs> to limit it down. <laughs> I, I sit here thinking of all of the things we've already talked about and how I love all of them. But I guess if I were to pick something, kind of try to narrow down onto something maybe a little smaller, it might be the forecasts being able to preserve hierarchy. What does that enable? Well, it used to be in earlier versions of OmniFocus, when you would set a due date on a project, that due date would, of course, be inherited by all the tasks in that project, which meant that as that project approached and its deadline approached, you'd see any tasks that didn't have their own earlier due date now show up in your forecast with this <laughs> due date. So for example, if you're packing to go on a trip and you set a due date of your packing, you would see your whole packing list of socks and so on in your forecast so that it was just easy to clutter up your forecast with a list of things. And so, you know, one way of working around that in the past was I'll just put all that stuff in notes instead. But then you couldn't check it off. You didn't really have good control over it in the way that OmniFocus should let you do. Now that we can preserve hierarchy, that means that the hierarchy of the project and the all of the things inside of it are preserved in forecast. You can collapse it and say all you want to see in forecast is the title of the project itself. If you want to get to the details, of course, you can expand that outline right in place and see all of the children, check them off individually there in forecast. But it's no longer something that has to clutter it up all the time. And what about you, Ainsley? As I've mentioned, I, I use OmniFocus. So I'm shipping OmniFocus 4 with lots of lists in OmniFocus 4 itself. 
And a feature that I'm personally really enjoying is manually sorted custom perspectives. And I think folks are going to find it really, really useful. So in my personal database, I've got a custom perspective that I call work list. And it's anything in my work folders that I've flagged or has a do soon due date or that I've tagged that's literally called today ends up in this list. Uh, I've got preserve hierarchy, which is a new setting enabled. And I can drag and drop that list into the exact order I want to do it today. So like every week I put out a new test flight build. That test flight build is a action group with four or five little things I do to make sure it's in the right state for our testers. And when I want to prioritize those first thing, I move those action groups to the top of my list, maybe right behind an urgent email I need to send. And I can work through, I have a list that like looks exactly how, you know, if I was jotting things down on a piece of paper, I'd have them written down in that order. But instead it's pulled from a dozen different projects across the various things I'm responsible for at Omni all in one place. So I find that really, really powerful. And I'm excited for more folks to integrate that into their workflow because I think it's going to take custom perspectives, which I know folks already rely on, just a little bit further. And then I've got, this is what I'm still playing with, but I've got that list reflected on a widget on my Mac desktop because I'm running Mac OS Sonoma. And I can check those items right off from that widget. I still keep my only focus window open. I'm not quite ready to close it. But theoretically, I could close that window and work directly from that widget without having to cross-reference the application. So that's kind of a, a two-for-one and features that I'm personally using and I'm quite excited about. One of the things that excites me about this release from the engineering side of things, like this doesn't show up at all from a user's point of view, but from the engineering point of view, it's so much easier now to build these rich interfaces that do a lot more things, whether it's the new settings that we have on the iPhone and so on, because we're using SwiftUI, because the work that we're doing applies to more devices at once. It just saves us so much time. And it's a lot more rewarding to build new features <laughs> because you know you don't have to build it several times as you redo it again for each platform. One thing we did is during this dev cycle. So we had these plans for making the app more approachable, using SwiftUI, these things. But then we also, you know, every time someone emails us and says, hey, I'd like to do this in your software, we note that in our database, right? So we have 15 years of customers telling us, hey, forecast is so powerful. I love it. Nobody else has it. But I really want to show flag tasks. Or I really want to be able to change the order. So it's very cool that we were able to take a look at those requests and address so many of them. We listen to people say, hey, this is how I'd like to use your software to make me even more productive. And with LifeFocus 4, we've been able to say, hey, let's do that. Let's let you use the software the way you're asking us to let you use it. Make this already like very powerful, customizable app. Do just a little bit more so you can set that list exactly how your brain works because everybody's works a little bit differently. I am very excited for our, our new icons and our, you know, the corners that are round that used to be sharp and vice versa. Uh, I think it looks beautiful across all the devices. So I've been looking at screenshots as we get ready for launch, um, getting things polished up and ready for folks to take a preview look at. So I'm just, I'm very excited to get this application onto folks' devices. Anyone who was 10,001 for the test flight, I know there are lots of folks waiting to give it a try. So we're very excited to get it on people's devices. And I want to take this opportunity to thank everybody who was involved in the test flight. You know, those 10,000 people signed up for something that maybe they didn't even know what they were getting into, but there have been a lot of changes and we've done a lot of experimentation along the way. And it's helped so much to know that there are all these people who are taking a look at it, giving us feedback, telling us what works for them, what doesn't work for them, and making the app a better product in the end. So we hope that it serves a lot of people's needs better than it would have otherwise. Yep. As you listen to this, I really want to encourage folks to take advantage of that free two-week trial of Audio Focus 4. Grab it, again, you said from our website, from any of the app stores, give it an install, sign with your Omni account, 
and get that two weeks trial started. It can run side by side with OmniFocus 3. So if you're already set up with OmniFocus, there's no risk to giving OmniFocus 4 a try at the same time. And we really hope folks love it and share feedback with us as they have it, because this isn't the end of the line for OmniFocus 4. We're launching it. We've got lots of exciting stuff planned for the future. And we're excited to just keep making it a better app. And that is it. OmniFocus 4 is released and omnigroup.com slash omnifocus or the app store. Thanks to Ken and Ainsley for hanging out today. And thanks to all of you for listening. You can find us on Mastodon at The Omni Show at omnigroup.com. You can also find out everything that's happening with The Omni Group at omnigroup.com slash blog. Thank you.